0: Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR
1: therapy. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We are here in the studio today with the three of us um, to talk about one of our favorite things, uh, two of our favorite things, I guess, intersubjectivity and EMDR therapy. Uh, before we jump in, we wanted to talk a little bit about our online community uh, on Patreon, because that's such an amazing way for people to get involved and to uh, get access to a bunch of really awesome resources, um, like live sessions, uh, recordings of uh, content. Uh, consultation calls and uh even access to uh ongoing monthly consultation uh, and in a group setting and stickers yes mm-hmm. decals
2: t-shirt shirts at some point.
1: T-shirt, no not maybe t-shirts There's definitely t-shirts, t-shirts definitely yes. t-shirts at some point um so on uh patreon.com backslash uh, beyond healing centers where you will find the notice that um uh, patreon and we would love to um get get in touch with you at any level at any tier there are multiple options there that have kind of access to different resources and different cool things that you can read about on there, and we'd love to see uh, see you around there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've
2: got like series of live recorded sessions. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean, that's my favorite part of that. That I feel like we get a ton of feedback mm-hmm. on getting to see us as therapists in action. Yeah, so we just got a recording from a retreat and got permission to utilize it. So five days of intensive con. Like yeah. content focused mm-hmm. on DID. DID, yes. Yes, it's phenomenal training material. And it teaching is you. Material. Jen. It is. And <laughs> Jen she's is therapist. the most wonderful client and was so gracious to agree to use this for educational purposes. Mm-hmm. So. Yes,
1: mm-hmm. I love that. So, what brings us into our own intersubjective space today, the three of us, is to talk about intersubjectivity and EMDR therapy. Yeah. So, what did we want to talk about in this? Where are we at?
0: How important it is
1: how vital and um, just foundational mm-hmm. it is. is mm-hmm. It's a reality.
2: I want to reference back to an episode that we recently released where we were kind of experiencing the intersubjective space together with our audience when mm-hmm. we were referencing back to just how people are feeling about um, the way the episodes are going. Yeah. And so I want this episode to take a little bit more of a clinical approach to what is inner subjectivity, where that was experiential. Hopefully right. what you felt listening to that feels like what the inner subjective space can feel like. Mm-hmm. And this, now we want to define that for you and help you integrate this into your practice. Yes.
0: I think that one of the, mm, probably the biggest shifts for me when I sort of started including a awareness of inner subjectivity into the work was the idea of, Feeling the freedom to make things explicit mm. that were not previously explicit mm. and kind of trusting the container that we create with her client to hold my human experience as a therapist as part of the therapeutic process. Yeah. And initially when I started doing that in sessions, it was with a little bit of anxiety about how that would go, how clients would respond to it, how I would feel in doing that. You know, Would it feel too vulnerable? Would it feel unethical? Would it feel like I was sharing too much about myself, etc.? But over and over, I feel like what it has demonstrated is a safe place for clients to integrate their own work because we feel much more human to them mm. in the process. And there's something about... Including our own humanness that invites their humanness mm-hmm. and modeling rather than teaching from a cognitive place about what does it mean to have a human experience in the way that we hope our clients will, of just going ahead and having it with them right then and there mm-hmm. and really creating the embodied sensation of this is what I mean when I say you can be safe in vulnerability in a relationship,
1: mm-hmm.
0: this is what it feels like. This is the way that humans can speak to each other and yeah. treat each other to create that sensation.
2: And so that humanness of the client and the humanness of the therapist being subject and subject. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Coming into relationship with yeah. one another. Yeah. And Instead that's every... of object and object. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's where the term intersubjective space, it's that mm-hmm. space between two subjects or intersubjectivity subjectivity yeah. comes from, it's, as as Melissa you're saying, it's embracing and embodying your humanness as well as mine as the therapist
3: mm-hmm.
2: that's really different than what mm-hmm. i learned in grad school mm-hmm. really different well at least for me i don't know how it was for you guys
0: but there was almost an encouragement in grad school to personify ourselves as object yeah to our clients
2: i'll tell you that's been like professionally one of what I've perceived as my greatest strengths as a therapist Mm. is my objectivity.
3: Mm. Mm -hmm.
2: Oh, I can be so objective in couples Mm -hmm. counseling. Mm -hmm. You know, like I can sit in a room with people and really like be objective in that Mm -hmm. moment. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So what are you, what, I guess, were you um, celebrating in saying that? What does that mean for you to say positively, I can be so objective?
2: I think it's still the same thing that I would celebrate as a strength of mine today, but I would label it differently. Yes. -hmm. I would label it very different because Mm -hmm. I think it is because of my humanness and my past experiences. Your subjectivity. And my subjectivity that I can sit in a room and shift between really empathizing, validating and seeing a perspective of one person and then another and one person and another and help each person to feel very heard Mm -hmm. and seen and validated.
1: Yeah. I think the the difference between an objective um, sort of pendulation like that and a subjective one. Um, An objective one is able to take the perspective of both and to say this is the path forward. Mm -hmm. The subject perspective of that is to hear both and to feel the tension of not knowing what to do Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and feeling that it doesn't matter necessarily yet where we go from here. Mm -hmm. The purpose is to feel. Mm -hmm. The object is to say, no, we're just going to hear Mm -hmm. and then to hear, validate and go through the process and then we or separate you know down the road to the to the goal
0: yeah it's a very kind of rational and detached in fact you know when we think about objectivity detached would be one of the defining characteristics yeah Yeah. of being objective is that i don't get too attached to one person's experience so that i can hold both equally Mm. and i think by pushing ourselves to do that we shift ourselves into operating from that very rational and cognitive space, and therefore our therapy will take on that flavor. It's going to feel like a rational and cognitive therapeutic process rather than a somatic and embodied process because in order to be completely objective, we have to disconnect and dissociate away from those other aspects of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then those elements of us are missing in the therapeutic process. And if we imagine what it feels like to a client trying to attach to object, there is an element that is almost reinforcing some of the, the patterns that we're hoping to change in therapy of mm-hmm. being kind of a inhuman or less than human subhuman um, person to them. They're not able to get an authentic attachment experience with us, Yeah, but providing a full human experience, albeit boundaried and to some degree, filtered for what is appropriate for clients to know about us, but still letting the full experience of our humanity be present. We don't have to give them complete understanding of why we have the reactions that we do. We don't have to go into a long, detailed story about our history that makes us present the way that we do. None of that is really relevant to the therapeutic process usually. But what is relevant is how is my body responding to this moment with my client right here, right now.
1: Why do you th- why do you say that so declaratively? I 100% agree with you, but I think in saying it that that is the that's the point to mm-hmm. say what is my body feeling with my client right now. Mm-hmm. Why isn't that taught in grad school? Why is that and why is that so now revolutionary for us to say mm-hmm. that no, the way you feel mm-hmm. in session is a part of the session.
0: Well, do you want my honest opinion? Always, because it's really hard to measure and manage and manage. And prescribe mm-hmm. and put on a treatment plan and yep. put in a progress note and bill insurance companies for yes
1: <laughs> the objective quote unquote yep. is very measurable yes it is very um, you know as <laughs> as demonstrated by mm-hmm. that is objective mm-hmm. as it gets right there
0: yeah can you imagine a intersubjective progress note that read something along the lines of as measured by a uh, tingling sensation in my <laughs> gut
1: which told me I felt Chaos.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. And when I reflected to the client that my gut was telling me that maybe they were experiencing a sense of chaos in their body, they replied with X, Y, Z. And that progress note, I would actually want to read. Oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> I would love
1: that. Ooh, what is this? Chaos.
0: Chaos, yeah.
1: An immeasurable experience?
0: huh uh-huh. The problem is, is that it's not easily replicatable or it, definable it, from person to person.
2: It requires... Um, some pretty big therapeutic work for the therapist mm. themselves yes. too, to be
1: aware yes, yes of what they're contributing to that intersubjective space yes. and yeah. even
2: in tune enough with their own body yeah. to mm. say i'm responding because i feel the tingling sensation not right. because a textbook or a professor or supervisor told me this is what i do yeah. mm. so and so i think it, it is mm. kind of provoking as the therapist too to be learning about this and saying what does that mean for my work with my yeah. clients and and my own work from my own past experiences, if I'm going to be showing up in the room with all of that to some degree in my felt Mm -hmm. sense of that experience, what do I need to be addressing in my own past?
0: Yeah. So I was having a conversation recently with someone about inner subjectivity and therapy as the therapist. And when encouraging them to, you know, reference their own body and their own sensation and their own felt experience, their comment was, but how can I trust that?
3: Oh, wow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's so subjective.
1: They said that? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> it's just like a,
0: yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> y- yeah, it is. But also, I have a feeling that probably a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. And um, I think, once again, that is revelatory of how much in therapy we have been taught to assume that it is possible to find absolutes, to find truths that are going to be um true for all people involved in the situation yeah yeah Yeah, it's this very kind of black and white approach and so when we're talking about inner subjectivity i think one of the things that is important to remember is that when we say truth we're talking about the truth of what my body is revealing about my experience of this present moment we're not talking about Universal truths or the fact that if I feel chaos in my body, then it must be true that you are feeling chaos in mm-hmm. yours No, it's it's not about moving into black and white absolutes. In fact, quite the opposite Yes, <laughs> it's about moving into the ambiguity in the gray of to be human is to be constantly you know bombarded by different sensations and different experiences and we're always trying to make sense of it and interpret it and inner subjectivity says we get a better experience relationally when we do those interpretations together with all of the information explicit on the table between yeah. us
1: and When you start thinking about intersubjectivity, you just start seeing it everywhere. And in this conversation that you had, you were in an intersubjective space with them. Absolutely. And so when you listen again to what they said of how can I trust that, Mm -hmm. it's so subjective. That to me makes me feel, you know, if I were to say something like that, I would be communicating, I want something to trust. Yes. I want something that I know is the best guiding principle. And it's not me. And it's not me. Mm-hmm. It's I'm, certainly not my body. My body is wrong mm-hmm. in it's its just having feelings. Mm-hmm. I want to shut that out and just choose the right way. Right. And to to introduce that into the space, even as the therapist, because I feel that way when mm-hmm. I'm in a chaotic moment with a client of, man, I just want to do the right thing here.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And even just to be able to say, my body wants to do everything it can to help you feel better. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what that is right mm-hmm. now. Yes. I don't know. And just to be able to say that as the therapist, as this is this is what I'm genuinely feeling, I want mm-hmm. to join you here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that we can figure it out together. Yeah. However we're going to come out of this.
0: Well, and I think when we're talking about intersubjectivity as therapy, not yeah. just in therapy, I love but that distinction. as therapy, what we're saying is it's not our answers to our clients' problems. That create change for them yeah it is the experience of being in safe relational connection Connection. (laughs) with a human being that is dedicated to staying in the space with them even when it's chaotic or challenging or confusing or Mm. messy or you know conflictual yeah that that we stay and that we continue to speak honestly about our experience of them and uh, trust that that relationship is going to provide the therapeutic change that we need and what that does for me at least as a therapist is i get a lot more relaxed in the tricky spots oh absolutely i i don't have to panic and what's interesting is that same client therapist because the majority of my caseload is other therapists yes yeah, th- <laughs> Claire- <laughs> thank you yeah <laughs> that's lovely yeah what did you say say it again. Clearapist. A clearapist is fun. <laughs> That's anyway, good to use that. I'm a right. So, the, one of my claripists, yeah. Um, <laughs> I've, I've integrated it now. Um, so this cleropist, her reflection at the end of the session was something along the lines of, "I hope someday I can do what you're doing for me today." Aww. Which was such a beautiful, you know, experience of right there in that space as we're exploring how to utilize intersubjectivity in her work she was having a full experience of how profound it can be because when she you know she had said something that was tremendously honest one of the first times that she had articulated it out loud and she she said this thing and my reaction to it was to be quiet to just sit and after about 10 to 15 seconds of silence i said i'm so glad i got to hear that honesty from you today yeah and that was it and from that
1: Came, which was a genuine, like, feeling in your totally, body. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, I didn't feel the need to do anything with that, to make it go anywhere. Just to witness. Just to witness and be with her in that really profound moment of, wow, you've never said that out loud before. Wow. That yeah. feels significant, right? What a mirror. Mm. Yeah. And, and it was from that space that she made the comment, I hope I can do that mm. someday. And when I asked her what she meant, she said, I hope that I uh, don't panic when things get yeah. tricky the way that you can just sit with me. And in that space, it was such a, I don't know, a clear moment of that is the therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The therapy of, of sitting with a calm human in the midst of your chaos and the challenge and the confusion of what you're experiencing. And then when we start thinking about what that looks like in EMDR and this space that we provide for our clients when they're sitting with their big feelings and big moments of their life, As the therapist in that scenario, the intersubjective space of EMDR is the most powerful thing that is happening, maybe second to the BLS, but I would say not.
2: (laughs) Maybe. Uh We got into this a little bit on the last episode, but I agree. (laughs) Before we get into merging it specific with EMDR, I want to highlight a couple of pieces of what you're saying that I think are so significant, that if we are sitting in that space with our clients as an object... We are more likely to reiterate mm-hmm. their um, how do I put this to reiterate their negative self beliefs mm-hmm. or um, the maladaptive uh, understanding of an experience. So they come to us and we give them advice or guidance or solve the problem or offer a solution. The, the potential that that could be a shaming experience mm-hmm. yeah. of like, okay, so this person knows how to do this, but I don't, yeah. right. I don't yes. know how to do it. Yes. Like we are reiterating negative patterns in that of this is what relationship mm-hmm. looks like versus if we are a subject in that it can just be a human with them. And Melissa, in your example, all you did was hold a space for her thing mm-hmm. to be shared and a safe space to feel seen and connected mm-hmm. in yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And that is what she needed., yeah. yeah, it's not she didn't need your advice on what right. to do next right. or a, a technique or you yeah. know, an intervention on how to change that. yeah, yep. mm-hmm. I agree.
1: I'm curious how you how you contrast that to times where things are spoken into the space that don't feel honest.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so um, similar situation this happened actually multiple times this week because i think it's a pretty common experience for all of us in therapy where you're sitting there and the client is talking and sharing and there's this part of you that has this very real sensation of um that's not the real feeling
1: yeah
0: you know that it's valid what you're sharing with me is important to you but that's not the real thing going on here.
2: feels like there's something more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah.
0: You're telling me the story. You're telling me the way that you have made sense of this experience so far. But there is a something else yeah. going on. And rather than speak into the space, you know, hey, you're lying to me right now. <laughs> and coming with challenge i think that inner subjectivity says just speaking to the underlying feeling of uncertainty and being honest about how we're processing that brings a very uh, gentle confrontation that feels more like an invitation to go a layer deeper to move beyond the the conscious story that they've been telling themselves and if we come with that kind of curiosity and just sharing and exploring what this feels like as i'm hearing it it's an invitation for them to come with their own curiosity, yes, and and begin to self-reflect in a stance of um, no self-judgment, but just hmm, wonder what is underneath there. Yeah, you know, I've been telling this one story for so long, and it hasn't really gotten me any anywhere. What else could be there? Mm-hmm. And that that curiosity from us and that gentle invitation, I think, um, provides them the space to do the same.
1: Well, and I think, in uh, especially with systems that have found um, the need to be very creative mm-hmm. in the ways that they protect themselves and the way that they orient themselves mm-hmm. to the world, um, the five or six or seven or whatever number of selves that mm-hmm. they have and the economy that exists between them of navigating a complex situation like that. Um, I, have, I had one experience this week where I felt the affect in the, in the person that was sharing this to be, it, it felt mysterious to me. Like that they were trying to be mysterious hmm. mm-hmm. in in their feeling. And as the as the space continued to unfold and it, affect increased in, in this person, I kind of just reflected that the stories between the parts are okay. I can we can handle it together. What needs to happen between protecting the identity of this part and protecting the identity of this other part? we can talk about that we don't have to lie and in saying that like big release Mm -hmm. of emotion and came the just the utterance that i have been lying to you Mm -hmm. because this isn't how i feel and i want you to be proud of me
3: Mm.
1: and that just came from this feeling of me feeling that mysterious why are you Mm -hmm. why just this this internal feeling of this isn't adding i don't understand yeah. ask more questions, yeah. like is where my mind is Keep just going. try to feel mm-hmm. this just j- try to feel around it because it's not adding up, and it mm-hmm. it's kind of contradicting itself in a way, mm-hmm. and so just poking a little bit at that and putting in my own feeling of I just want you to know that it's okay,
3: yeah yeah,
1: however, this needs to unfold whoever you need to be in this space I'm accepting, mm-hmm. and that you don't have to hide. Mm-hmm. And in that space is where we now entered in because they were willing to accept it and enter in again with me. Then we were able to continue to further develop that intersubjective space. And the, there, and the
2: powerful follow up to that of what was that like for you yeah. to have me yeah. acknowledge that, mm-hmm. to see that or to mm-hmm. feel that. Yeah. Um, I think we we do learn in grad school when their words aren't matching their affect and to draw attention to that.
0: Distortions, et cetera. But to
2: come back to the place and say, what is it like for you? to have me in this space with you Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. feeling
2: that or seeing that or or drawing attention to that Mm -hmm. i think if my clients were to say like what's one thing jen says just like over and over (laughs) and over (laughs) is i'm curious what's it like for you to hear me say that yes Mm -hmm. over and over over Mm -hmm. again yeah Mm -hmm. um and that's just constantly like redirecting it back to that place of like what's happening right here between you and i and sometimes it's it's great that feels really good and other times i really don't like that you said that
3: Yeah. yeah yeah
0: or i don't understand it it feels confusing mm-hmm. or um it feels scary it feels vulnerable that's a really really you know common reaction from clients um just reflecting on a couple of different instances this week where you know i would say the the bulk of the work was happening in the intersubjective space mm. um in both instances what i had to share i knew would be very activating to them so i Led with a kind of very honest reflection that I felt nervous to say what I was about to mm-hmm. say. Yeah. Mm. And watching them react to that, mm-hmm. to me owning my own um, experience of the process that we were in together, um, was kind of the first layer of activation for them. Yep. And then after that came the thing that I was going to say, which was somewhat confronting in both situations and, um, you know, offering offering reflections about, hey, there's this pattern that I see in you that has yeah. been happening for a long time. Do we feel ready to acknowledge it together and investigate it together about why this pattern has been here for so long? Yeah. And in both situations, and which I think is pretty common in that space, the client... Um, is softened by our humanity. Your vulnerability. You
2: became a human the yes, moment you said, "I'm right. really
0: nervous yes. to bring this up." Yeah, yeah, and I think you know if we think about what that feels like to the client, it gives them a kind of relational power and takes us off of a pedestal and lets them experience the relating between us as a a true relationship rather than something much more distant, professional, robotic, etc. And in that space they could reflect what it might feel like to other humans in their life as well it becomes so much more relatable to the rest of their life and i think that that's the beauty of inner subjectivity is that it makes our therapy much more generalizable Mm -hmm. to all of the other relationships that they will experience yeah Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and they get to come back sessions later and tell you Mm. i'm really nervous to say this but Mm -hmm. they they learn what is it like to share that vulnerability in a relationship Mm. in a trusted relationship where the other person can meet you and match you there yes mm.
1: yeah to me as a as as a therapist and as I continue to practice in the intersubjective space it makes me feel really authentic as well that I'm not trying to like withhold I don't have to worry about uh, not sharing an activation or something Mm -hmm. like that because of, you know, well, this client really activates me and I don't Mm -hmm. know how to be in that space with them. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of hide in the therapy room from them right Uh, or the other way around of like, no, this client I, I go straight at and you know, whatever it is. Right. I just get to be me Mm -hmm. all across all of my caseload Mm -hmm. and just hold space and then enter more
0: supportive to us as a therapist. Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
1: I don't have to burn myself out trying to just white knuckle it Mm -hmm. across my, or like through my activation or something like that, that Mm -hmm. I can just be in the space of this is how I'm feeling.
2: So
0: here's a point of reflection that I'm curious about because in, you know, having conversations with other therapists in other contexts, the reality is, is that all three of us, um, practice in a way that is rather luxurious (laughs) here's what i mean by that we um we don't see 40 clients a week yeah we um have the opportunity to be somewhat selective about the clients that we work with Mm -hmm. um we get a wide variety of presentation rather than you know having a caseload of all one presentation and we work And a team that is very, very supportive.
1: With self-pay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No insurance, insurance,
0: et cetera. And so some of the conversations that I've had and, you know, very, very understandably, there is concern about, I can't show up as my full human self with these particular clients because they will eat me. Yeah. Right. They will take advantage of any vulnerability that I show. And Jen, you know... I reflect on the place that you and i came from and Mm -hmm. that's real Mm -hmm. i actually feel that way and remember what that would have been like to imagine being my full human self in in some of those spaces with clients that their their strategy for dealing with their trauma was always a fight response was um, capitalizing on the vulnerability of others rather than leaning into. Yeah. And so, you know, I want to I want to be very cognizant that there are certain situations where showing up as our full human self as a therapist with a client may backfire. Yeah. Or may pose some interesting challenges and there has to be some discretion and understanding of what clients are ready and able to be in that space with us and how do we work in our subjectivity intersubjectively with clients that maybe are not ready for that level of vulnerability. Mm-hmm.
2: So I think, um, the first thought that comes up for me is the more I do show up as myself, the less they need their fight flight strategies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that they just disappear, right. but it, I see those get activated more when I come in, um, to too to clinical, um, it's kind of a a balance in between somewhere Mm -hmm. but that tends to activate it a bit more of like Mm -hmm. you're asking me to show up here with vulnerability Mm -hmm. and i think back to years ago in the treatment center we were at of like you're asking me to like share all of this right but what about you To sit on your pedestal and you know be barbie up there and not say anything that may or may not be something that was actually said yep (laughs) Yep. i might have earned it but (laughs) (laughs) probably deserved the comment um but to be the more human the more they say okay like I can let down those Mm -hmm. defenses because there's not necessarily as much of a threat here yeah now again that's not like a golden rule but that's Mm. kind of one approach the other thing is we have to determine for ourselves how safe are we in those situations to open that up and Mm -hmm. share parts of ourselves and can we be in an inner subjective space without necessarily exposing ourselves to being vulnerable to be Mm -hmm. hurt by our Mm -hmm. clients Mm -hmm. and i think we can Mm -hmm. and it it takes a lot of like checking in with yourself and being a self-aware and in tune with how you're feeling before during and after that session and reflecting on that experience and honoring yourself, yeah, which I think is the most subjective thing we can do mm-hmm. is say, I'm a human in this too, and so I have to honor if I need boundaries in this area. Absolutely. I'm allowed to have those, right. even right. if they don't like them.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, intersubjectivity is one of the most intimate experiences a human being can have. It, it is right, I mean, Dan Siegel is one of the clinicians that have talked about the inner subjective space and what um, the developing brain uh, is in response to an intersubjective encounter with an attachment figure and that's where the development of self comes from mm-hmm. so we're talking about doing something that the brain responds to as okay well this this room now has the recipe for me to be open to changing who i am <laughs> <laughs> and to receive comments from another person about who i am the very thing that i feel shame-filled about is now being invited into this space of who I am, like my identity. Mm -hmm. And that's where sometimes uh, people choose to hide in objectivity. They, They don't want to be open to that level of subjective encounter, and so they hide.
0: Or they don't even know that that's a possibility. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of clients, and I can even reflect on points in my own healing, where it would not have even registered as a real thing. Yeah. As if if somebody had shown up that way for me, I would have just been confused. Yeah. And well, yeah. Made and that's, no sense of it.
1: That's what I'm talking about. Like, I don't think people are are genuinely choosing. No, nope, mm-hmm. I'm going to be objective here, and mm-hmm. I'm going to be subjective here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it. Once you start working in that space, you can more consciously be aware of that. But a lot of times, we're just reacting, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we're just finding ourselves reacting from a place of objectivity mm-hmm. of like, no, and boundary, and mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, what do you even kind of like you said yes. of the confusion? Yeah. Like, I don't even know what you mean. Um, I'm just trying to mm-hmm. figure it out. I don't know what else to do.
0: Well, I think a lot about um, rules of engagement, mm. right? Like social rules of engagement, and mm. one of the one of the things about intersubjectivity is that it usually means that we're breaking the rules of engagement. Yeah. So an easy, and we have
2: these really clear like ethical guidelines yeah. as a. Th- clinician that we study and we take a test on Mm -hmm. and then we agree to Mm -hmm. they give us these rules of engagement not just socially but professionally as well Mm -hmm. right and the the
0: interpretation of what those rules mean Mm -hmm. in the actual relationship with the client um are so subjective Mm -hmm. even though we like to pretend that they are objective
1: black and white black
0: and white yeah and well so an easy example of what i mean by breaking the the social rules of engagement we did it on the episode where we welcomed our listeners into our little you know family space of the way that we process things that's not typical yeah that's not a normal uh listener on a podcast experience to be welcomed behind the scenes in that way um, and we don't do it to like show off. Look how inner subjective we are. It's 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 just the way that we know how to process things and make sense of things mm-hmm. um, But I think that with our clients we have to remember that when we show up that way we are breaking all of the rules for Yeah, them.
1: people don't talk like this. No
0: people don't talk like that people don't um, show up with that level of vulnerability and they demonstrate to us what their their perceived rules of engagement are. Mm-hmm. And then we show up and challenge them. And every time we do that, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we have the opportunity for that to be a therapeutic disconfirming experience. Yes. And that can be really powerful if we know how to utilize it.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't even tell you how many times in the last year I've had a client say something like, you mean, I can tell you that? I thought that would be so inappropriate if mm. I were to let you know that. like, Or it, it feels inappropriate of me to want that from you, yeah. that phrase. When we're talking about like receiving yeah. comfort, nurturance, yeah. care, love yes. from yes. me yes. as their therapist. But... Wait, it's not inappropriate that I want that or that that feels good to me? No,
3: you're that's human. <laughs> yes, total you're sense.
2: human. Yes. You mean you want support and nurturance? Of course, that's appropriate. Yes. I mean,
0: from this person that you've been spending hours with and sharing deep, intimate, you know, yes. parts of your life, that the you old, would actually yes. want an emotional connection. Yes, that's a good thing. That's That's a sign of health within your system. Yes, yes. yes.
2: And that just shows you like the rules of engagement has kind of jaded Mm -hmm. even just culturally, Mm -hmm. but especially our field of what is appropriate versus inappropriate. And if they desire, if their, their human body desires something, deeper or more then they're Mm -hmm. in this category of I'm inappropriate and that goes back to old stuff of course oh yeah but this shame spiral Mm -hmm. of like I'm inappropriate for wanting that and so Mm -hmm. then all of the adaptations come in and the strategies of do I push do Mm I like manipulatively get that met some other way right Right. yeah
1: right to me the uh, another powerful experiences when a therapist will say that Hmm. about the work that they're doing with their client or the feeling that they have of, wait, this
0: inappropriate. Is this okay? Is it it
1: okay for me to, to talk about the discomfort that I have in a space with Mm -hmm. a client?
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. powerful. Yes. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. Should I
0: refer just because there's tension and I don't know what to do in this space. Then maybe I need to refer because there's transference and counter transference. Yes. (laughs) And
1: we're, (laughs) gosh, where there's, where there's rupture, there can be repair. Right. And it's in that space that a disconfirming experience presents itself mm-hmm. as a possibility. Um, for a, a, a therapist to say to a client, you know, I am feeling discomfort in this space. Mm-hmm. Part of me wants to rescue you out of this. Mm-hmm. Or part of me wants to, you, you know, just explain it all away and get us out of this moment of Have tension. Have an easy answer. Right. Yeah. But there isn't one mm-hmm. that I can find right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And again, I just want, so let's just sit.
0: Okay, so we can't have this conversation without addressing something that the three of us talk about pretty often because we hear it from people pretty often. And we, we're about to have this conversation with a lot of tenderness even though sometimes we get a little bit snarky and flippant about it. So, Thank you for that purpose. Are you, are you yeah.
2: warning us to be tender? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here
0: we go. Are you ready? ready? <laughs> Imposter syndrome. I knew it. <laughs> I thought
2: you were going to say CBT. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Telling. Jen. <laughs> we'll
0: have that conversation another time, <laughs> okay. or all the other times that we already have had that conversation. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I think that one of the things that we hear from consultees a lot is either they will use that phrase or they are describing an experience of it, of this um this feeling of just I'm not good enough at what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm such a fake because I don't know what to do all the time. Or I
2: have my own baggage yes. that's showing up. Yes. And I'm such a fake because I'm that trying mean to I'm tell someone. I'm not a good
0: therapist? Yeah. Or my my client didn't respond well to this interaction. They they got mad at me. They fired me as a therapist. Does that mean that I shouldn't be a therapist anymore? Oh. And that it's such sincere concern. Yeah. Like, Despair. So, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and deep fear about... How can I be a human and do this job? How? Like that to me that's, that's your best tool yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I <laughs> yes. think I think it is the distancing from our own humanity that has led to imposter syndrome. Absolutely.
1: It's the ripping away yes. of that humanity yeah. because yeah. then you are a fake. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. So so in grad school there's sort of this attitude of well we all know that the therapeutic relationship is the most important thing. So just get really good at that and then you're going to be fine. But then we kind of keep going and we get this very clear message that, well, there's a lot more to it than that. How do we move beyond building rapport with our clients and actually be able to do something powerful enough to affect real systemic change in their system beyond them having one experience of somebody liking them, Mm -hmm. right? And that's the space that I think people fall into and say, well, I must be an imposter because I, I'm i trying to do my best in this space of, you know, unconditional positive regard, but they're still not changing, right? And we were told that that should be enough, and maybe that means that I'm not enough because I'm doing it wrong. Or we come from a background where there was this attitude of, you know, it's the cognitive work that makes the change, which leads us to to feel like I have to have the right cognitive answer. I have to come up with the right reframe. I have to catch mm. the distortion. I have to catch the activating event and, and teach them how to challenge that. If, how do I teach that when I can't do it
2: for myself yeah. all the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm using these, these skills and still struggling with my mm-hmm. own anxiety. And so maybe I don't know what I'm actually doing. Mm-hmm. So... I say all of that because I'm pretty sure that as we have this conversation, there will be a lot of therapist bodies out there feeling a little activated mm. Mm. by this idea of showing up as more human when they already feel not good enough. Yeah. Mm. Does that make sense?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I,
2: want to, I want to connect this specifically with EMDR mm-hmm. because I think EMDR has the opportunity to be way too objective. Mm. Um, we can hide behind a protocol really yes. easily and just be the protocol mm. and in fact in many ways that's what's encouraged mm. is stick to the script and push the notice button. that go at that notice that go at that now i'm by no means speaking negatively of emdr because i clearly clearly <laughs> we're believe into in it. it devoted yes. your life to it yes. so. But I think that we lose the effectiveness of it when we lose our subjectivity in it. Mm. And so we're not just an object behind a machine switching the button on and off or waving our hands in front of their face. But it's in those moments when we show up as a subject when you cry with them Mm. while they're Mm. reprocessing and they get to look at you and see like, oh, this affects you too. Mm -hmm. And, And you can be a real human in that moment when your eye gaze and your body posture is showing them, I am right there with I'm you. So Will you go back here, through yeah. that really awful experience, you're not yeah. alone this time. That's right. I'm with you while you go through it yeah. and you're safe in this relationship with mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. That's the healing component. And yes, bilateral has some really, really strong impact mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm. But without that relational piece, you don't see the same changes that's happen.
1: Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, and I, I think
0: that to the therapists that are in that space of wondering, am I healthy enough? Am I smart enough? Am I capable enough? Am I good enough to really do this kind of work the way that we're describing it? One of the luxuries and the beauties of working intersubjectively is that wherever you are in your process, it is good enough and exactly where you can uh, show up with your clients in integrity and authenticity yeah. and invite them into the same. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about, well, I mean, this happens to me all the time, <laughs> including today, but in session there's been plenty of times, especially when my daughter was young, where a client would say to me, you look tired today. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would say, you know, something along the lines of, oh, you know, and my baby, blah, blah, blah. And then eventually I started just saying, yeah, I am.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And their, their humanity would show up and want to caretake me in that space. Sure. And, um, you know, they would ask me questions about how I'm doing. And then suddenly all of this really rich material is on the table <laughs> of, whoa, look at your strategy. Yeah. And what does it feel like for me to say, Yes. I am a human that has bad days and is, I am physically struggling today and still I can be fully present with you. All of that can be set aside and we can share this space of this is important enough for, for all of that to be present and not ignored, but also it doesn't have to be about me in that space. Yeah, that's right. Um, And so learning to just let whatever is present be present and not, you know, pretend that things aren't happening when they're totally obviously happening. You know, Um, I uh, had a session in my garage the other day because of an encounter in the intersubjective space because we were both feeling super activated by something was happening in my neighbor's yard. And I looked at her and I said, this is going to sound nuts, but do you want to go to my garage? And she said, that would be super helpful because that is really, really (laughs) obnoxious. I'm like... (laughs) Well, let's, let's do it. And so we sat next to my car in my garage with my trash all over the place. You know, I mean, it's not actually trash, but all the stuff that normal humans have in their garage. Yeah. And it was a
2: fantastic session.
1: It's amazing. It's
2: fantastic. Yeah. So the provoking idea that regardless of your background, regardless of your trauma, regardless of your state or your space of your healing process, if you show up as your authentic human self, and offer, offer safety and connection in that relationship, that that is good enough. Mm-hmm. It's when we bring in these adaptations to try to be smarter or quicker right. yeah. or faster yes. or more stable, mm-hmm. that's when actually we can do damage yes. with the clients.
1: Well, and that to me is when I hear a client just like, you know, they'll, they'll share something that just happened and then say something like, but you know I got to put all that away. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Jump into a session. Mm. Yeah, wow.
3: good (laughs) luck luck with
1: that yeah yeah exactly (laughs) but that that you know embracing that can be terrifying also because you're like well what are you talking about then does that mean that I'm just going to be a mess in front of my client
0: right or does it mean that I'm going to self-disclose and make it all
2: about me right that's not what we're
0: saying either
1: not at all Mm
2: Mm-hmm. but it's always circling back to how is what I bring in the space affect the person across from yeah. me
3: mm-hmm.
2: what is that and how is my um baggage that I bring in good baggage mm-hmm. help me and in, inform the decisions that I make in that session and pick up on different things mm-hmm. like it's because of what we bring in mm-hmm. that we're able to do this job mm-hmm. lovely reframe of baggage there
0: can be a lot of useful tools and baggage oh yeah
2: I and like that. luggage can be so beautiful <laughs> Have you guys seen some of the suitcases? Mine's out an there? antique. Yes, oh. I've been
0: carrying this one for a real long time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, a couple other points of connecting this with EMDR. Of course, in you know EMDR relationship, we're always focused on the therapy relationship first. But this is something that we don't want to lose past. I think in Shapiro's text, it comes right before phase one. Make mm-hmm. sure you have a therapeutic relationship.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's something that we're circling back to throughout. Yeah. And we're actually utilizing this relationship in us as a therapist as a resource for them. Yes. Yeah. The episode before this, Bridget and I talk all about what resourcing is. Yes. So to just take that a step further us as a therapist can be a resource yes. to the client. And Absolutely. that is not inappropriate. No, we are not encouraging enabling in that. Right. No.
1: Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's appropriate. Yes. We're
0: encouraging attachment. Yes. Healthy, and interdependence. interdependence. Mm-hmm.
1: That's right. Co-regulation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the internalization of that co-regulation. Mm-hmm. And one thing that you said, Jenna, is that intersubjectivity is something we come back to. Uh, I genuinely think about the intersubjective space as something that is created when two subjects come together. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that we have to even bring explicit attention to to actually be in because it's it's always happening. And so for me, it is... In the inner subjective space that the entire therapeutic relationship unfolds,
3: mm-hmm.
0: it's the water that we're swimming in. Exactly.
1: It's never and and how weird is it to be in a pool and to act like you're not in a pool?
0: <laughs> that's called being a fish. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> true. You, you don't know what's the water. water. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. What are you talking about? It's <laughs> just, yeah. just the way it's always been. Yes, Dance
1: and but analogies. for us, Sorry. that's right. But I love it. I love it. for us to be just honest with ourselves that we are in a a very purposeful relationship. And encounter Mm
3: -hmm.
1: in this moment, but that doesn't mean I have to take away my humanity Mm -hmm. to still see and and interact in the purpose, Mm -hmm. but that I am, I am a participant in this therapy,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: but it is the relationship that we create that is the healing.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. And so installing, I want to, I don't want to end this episode without that piece we can install the inner subjective experience yes and we should it's so beautiful and again we mm-hmm. talked about this on the last episode but to connect it here as part as integrating that relationship into emdr um those moments where it says what was that like to process your biggest trauma and have me here with you mm-hmm. while you did yeah. it Mm -hmm. let's notice what that felt like to not be alone
3: Mm
2: -hmm. um we're going to install what is happening relationally between the two of us as Mm -hmm. a way to encourage and install healthy attachment co-regulation
1: yeah yeah that's beautiful agreed Mm.
2: Okay. That sounds like a good note to end on. Good I note. So. And
1: just as um is true to intersubjectivity, just because this podcast episode is over, that doesn't mean we're done talking about intersubjectivity. Never. Oh it, it is will something be it's here on out, now that we
2: have the word for you guys. <laughs> that's right. It's
1: in and it's in everything. It is everything. Um so as we go into other podcasts, really listening to the intersubjective space unfold between the, the three of us or the two of us, whoever's mm-hmm. here, and then between the listener and us, yeah. for the listener to be thinking about how does this apply? Yeah
0: So I've had more than one conversation recently with um, you know listeners that have gone on to do consultation and they will make comments about um, how when they're listening to us, they talk to us. Oh. That makes me I so happy. I love that To so imagine much. people driving around in their cars, listening to the three of us yammer on about whatever we're talking about, and they're out there. Telling us what they think about what we're saying, I love that. That makes me so happy. Please do that. So, and then email us all of your thoughts because we love hearing. Record (laughs) yourself and send it. We will listen to it. Oh, we We will will. absolutely, yes, yeah, we, yeah, we really do. Um, But I think that that experience of imagining, really being with, and knowing that we imagine you as we are doing these recordings um, is a very intersubjective experience. Yes, and. Um, the more that you start thinking about intersubjectivity, the more that it just is everywhere. You mm-hmm. notice it, you see it all because it is the everywhere. Yeah. It really is, and uh, you know, it, it kind of becomes the thing that you can't not see. In the same way that when you first learn EMDR, you're like, "Oh my gosh, that's a target." Whoops, I just <laughs> you know gave my child a target. Like everything is now a target. Yeah. Um, and so with intersubjectivity, it's kind of the same thing. As your system integrates this awareness, you will feel it and see it everywhere, and it'll really add a layer of depth. Complexity and potential intimacy to any relationship that you want it to. That's
3: right. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, if you guys want to learn more about intersubjectivity or the case conceptualiz- case conceptualization model that we use in our EMDR work, uh, we have a training on that and it's Somatic Integration and Processing. We call it SIP. And we will be training this again. Richard, what are the dates on that? <laughs>
1: We're training it again July July
0: 22nd 22nd through
1: 24th.
2: Yay. (laughs) How do we do? So they have mental calendars. I have one in my phone and it takes longer to unlock and access it. (laughs) I
0: just look at my calendar all the time. So it's like permanently. in.
2: I just pull it up in my brain. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's July. Oh God. Oh God. (laughs) So in that training, we dive deep into the inner subjectivity. And in fact, it comes, it's like a the thread that's woven throughout the entire oh. training. Yeah. But we talk about how do we view cases and utilize that view and that perspective to inform the therapy that we offer, to inform how we do EMDR and what we target and where we need resources. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in this, actually, I think... Mel, you and Bridger did an episode all about it. Um, about Zip.
3: Yes, we did. A mm-hmm. few weeks ago.
2: So mm-hmm. listen to that. And if that catches your attention or your interest, reach out to us um, on the website. We've got a, a list on there where you can actually register for the training. It'll be virtual, but it's very interactive, very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and we experience the intersubjective space together. Yes. That's right. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk again soon.
0: Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients.
1: Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed
0: or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please
3: email questions and comments to notice that at EMDR-podcast.com. From all of us here at NoticeThat, That, see you next time.